0: Walking away I don't know what I'm to say
1: Welcome to Bard Talk. I'm your host, Josh, and this week's going to be a little harder. I don't have my awesome co-host, Steph, who, and I, who, if you haven't listened to the previous podcast to this, it was amazing. Well-received. Um, she's a great person. Go back and listen to it again if you've already listened to it, or listened to it for the first time. Uh, really good podcast. One of the things I did recognize... Um, is my limitations with this podcast, so I don't really feel at this point I have the listenership to warrant like uh, a Patreon and all of those things to try to help me support it. So I'm I've been self-supporting myself with this podcast and getting insight and information and equipment and technology all on my own. So I only have one mic. And that was an extreme limitation last week because we were both kind of using it. Now I, I had the diaphragm dialed up. I was trying to boost the decibels and without it getting like screechy or too much interference and buzz. And I I, I did the best I could, but it was quiet. Like I, I people complained that they could be barely hear it, and it's fair enough. Um, I ask that you just be patient with me. I want this thing to grow. I want it to be a success. I want people to listen to me and my thoughts because I think that the way I question the world is important for people. Um, and, and also I, I love hearing the feedback. Um, I'm working on this. So this week I'm actually debuting. I went out and bought some software to help me edit and do some more mixing and things like that. So now I have the capability to add another mic so when I have another guest on The sound quality will be a lot better. I'm hoping the sound quality of this podcast is a lot better. Uh, I want to be brighter, louder, clearer. Better is what the ultimate goal is. But, you know, I I want people to enjoy listening to what I have to say. But I also want people to enjoy the listening part without all the interference. I mean, I've said before, I don't record in a sound studio. um, And I live in PA. And it's July. So you're either going to hear... It's not July, it's June. Next month it'll be July. We're almost into July. Let's agree upon that. But I don't I don't have a recording studio. Uh, I record at my computer desk. I have two loud noisy dogs that don't give two flying Fs what I'm doing. They they're just going to bark and do what they have to do. So and and I have the windows open. It's either the windows open or the air conditioner, so you're going to hear one of the two. And those limitations right now are things that degrade the sound quality. And I I really, really want good sound quality. But, you know, it comes at a cost. And I'm piecing together slowly this project. So if you bear with me, if you can put up with my nonsense, it's going to get better. I'm going to get better. Um, Learning how to sound engineer and things like that takes a little time. There's a learning curve. The best way to learn it is to do it. So, you know, I just kind of march forward with the podcast and I get better with each episode. But quality aside, I don't know how I'm going to top last week because it was just amazing. I'm going to try and I'm going to try because I'm going to talk about a subject that's going to hit a little close to home, uh, specifically mental health this week. Uh, My own mental health is on a roller coaster right now. I guess that's the best way to say it. I I'm kind of. I don't know what's wrong it started pretty much last weekend or last week and I've just been on this descent and you know I I don't mind the valley I know at the valley when you get to the point where you're just so frustrated you've you've hit your your mental bottom you can usually channel some type of anger or some stronger emotion and then you can fight your way out but the descent is killer. When, when you just know something's off, when you're just feeling down, when it just seems like you're waiting for that next thing to go wrong, that 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 ride down, it's not like a roller coaster. It's almost like you're climbing up the roller coaster for the descent, but you're actually, you know, you just feel down. you just energy. The last two days were hot and humid up where I live, and I'm using those as excuses, but in all honesty, I really didn't even have the energy to run or cycle. Like, I just couldn't. I couldn't muster anything. And and I know that like when I'm physically exhausted, it's related to my mental exhaustion. So, I, 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 I think it's important. I've always found it important to take inventory, to know what it is that makes you feel the way you feel. One of the most life-changing books I think I've ever read is called *The Righteous Mind*. It's written by Jonathan Haidt. Haidt, uh, H a i d t. I don't know. It's German. I don't read German. Um, The book delves into why people, good people, are divided by politics and religion, and that's controversial. And that part of the book wasn't what really changed my life. I mean, that's, that's, I'll let you interpret that, but he goes into a lot of psychology. Now, I am not a, a psychology major. I never took any big classes on it other than instruction and teaching and things like that for the fire service, which you have to develop. You have to delve into psychology to some small degree, but I'm by no means like a psychologist, a psychotherapist. I only attempt to try to understand my own brain and there were some things in that book that made really good sense uh, I've said before I kind of speak in metaphors well I really understand thing in metaphors and the metaphors in this book kind of stuck with me so some of the things that he um, went over was the uh, the concept of the elephant and the rider so if, it, if you're unfamiliar with this basically um, our brain has two sides to it, and our, our our thought process, or who we are, is kind of like a rider and an elephant. So the rider is your rational thought. The rider is it uses your intelligence and your rationality to come to a conclusion about what where you want to go. So if you can imagine, you know you have, you have uh, a destination in mind. You have some place you want to get to. The rider is the rational, intelligent part of you that knows that and then tries to tries to get there. The elephant is the emotional side of things. The elephant is, is the, the larger, easier, easier to sway part of your brain that doesn't think things through logically but does so based off of passion, or anger, or hurt, or betrayal, and concepts that I'll delve into later. But the writer only has so much control. There's such a disparity when it comes to rationalization and emotions. And for the better part of my 20s, although I wasn't aware of this concept, I certainly did ignore my elephant. I thought that I could get through life solely on logic and rationality. Um, The things that I valued, these concepts that I'm going to go into later, you can kind of see where I fell in originally. And, And understanding that, understanding that when you want to accomplish something, when you have a destination in your head and you're trying to get there, you have to appease both you cannot ignore the elephant the elephant has such a disparity in weight and control you can guide the elephant you can tug on its ears you can you can shift your weight on the elephant your rational side of your brain can do so much to try to get you to that destination but if the elephant doesn't want to do it ultimately there's nothing you can do and i think that's true for a lot of people is that the the emotional elephant has so much sway in their life and sometimes it prevents them sometimes it encourages them but ultimately you have to appeal to it and one of the ways in the book it talks about doing that is changing the path the rider the rider is going to know the path your rational logical side of your brain is going to know what it is you want to get to or where it is you want to get to in life But the path may be cluttered if there are boulders that elephants can't climb over you're not going to convince that elephant to do that if there's if the path is too long and the elephant just can't walk that far you're not going to get there and so you know again relating back to stupid fire service things we used to train to the officers anyways would train to have smart objectives to have objectives that are attainable that are within your reach that are tactically sound you know and and that's the same thing applies to your everyday life if your goals like for instance if your goal is to climb Mount Everest and you have very large physical limitations to doing so your rational side of your brain may find fixes for all of this but emotionally you can defeat yourself before you even start the journey you know you may you may physically be unable to do so but if you are emotionally unable to do so you'll never get there which i kind of feel now that i'm thinking about it in my head that was kind of a double speak but you get what i'm trying to say even things that we physically can do it, there's a point where emotionally you can't bear that kind of pain you can't you know emotionally take on the training that would be required to complete the task so you have to you have to recognize that it's not a true limitation it's a limitation only in the fact that you need a workaround you need to find a way to remove some of the obstruction or shorten the distance of the path maybe if your goal really is climbing mount everest maybe one of the obstacles is the money Well, you got to find a way around that. What can you what cost or expenses can you reduce in your life? Which ways can you monetarily accumulate more wealth in order to do so? So that concept of the rider and the elephant and learning to work around it can give you a starting point. It can give you an area of your mental health to work on before you even begin start training the physical part of the journey. So I like that duality, it works really well with me, and then understanding what influences that elephant. What is that elephant made of? Because knowing that the elephant exists is a great starting point, but you have to learn what that elephant is made of. What are the matrix that make up the emotional side of your brain? So he kinda has six starting points for you to think about, and these are more or less the opposing arguments that your brain goes through and how you feel about them. The intensity that you have behind these matrix matrices is how you begin to construct your ele- elephant. And these are all opposing thought bubbles, but for, for, this, for this purpose, this thought demonstration, uh, he talks about care and harm and that foundation is really related to our evolution as mammals with attachment systems and the ability to feel and dislike pain in others so if you care about somebody you want to see them healthy you want to see them prosper you don't want to see harm come to them that is one of the starting points that starts to create your elephant Uh, I'll list the other ones and then we'll go back and talk about them but fairness and cheating loyalty and betrayal, authority and subversion, sanctity and degradation, and then of course liberty and oppression is the last one. So we'll go back to care-harm. You know, how, how much do you value that? How much of your elephant is made up just on that matrix alone? Do you value your friends? Do you care about other people? Do you see the world and your place in it as being a caretaker? Um, Do you really despise harm? You know, I, I know that that's big for me. I care about people in my lives to a ridiculous degree, to an unhealthy degree. I've recognized over the years that like I have put everybody in my life well ahead of myself and to the detriment of myself. I don't want to see harm come to anybody else, but I never valued myself enough to not do harm to me. So... That my elephant, it might as well be a care bear for all it's worth, because that that foundation is really strong in my life. And you can ask yourself questions to determine how much that applies to you, how much you care about the people in your life, um, the fairness cheating aspect. So I think this plays a large role in a lot of people in that they can they can recognize instantly when somebody's being cheated or they recognize fairness in a situation Uh, i'm not so sure in my own life that i see those as really antonyms because i think that you can you can see somebody being cheated and have a very visceral reaction to that whereas when you get cheated you know, kind of just like write it off as, oh, well, you know, boys will be boys or that's just how cruel the world is. That's the reality that we live in um, that probably as I go down this list or if you're going back and listening to the list I had, you can probably see how my elephants constructed. But fairness, seeing fairness for other people or seeing fairness for yourself, you know, how how quickly do you react when you're presented with a situation and it's not fair? If you if you go to a party and you see a pizza on the table and nobody bothered to cut it up like party style, that hash tag or hash cross symbol one, it's just cut into regular slices. And you're that kind of person that sits there and like counts out nine slices and goes, oh, well, there's like 20 people at this party. Like, you know, some people aren't going to get a piece of pizza and that may bother you because you don't see the situation as fair you don't see the situation as just you think somebody's being cheated and and you know uh, another great way to look at this is the reaction people have or maybe perhaps you have when you find out an athletes cheated at a competition Um, Lance Armstrong whom I mean I wasn't always into cycling I cycle now it's a big part of my life I watch the cycling events for motivation but I mean, colloquially, I was very much aware of the Lance Armstrong scandal uh, and, and, and the fact that he cheated and he cheated in such a rhythmic, calculated way. He cheated in, 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 like, not in a manner that nobody else had done, because obviously everybody else at that time period was cheating in some aspect, but his was so calculated. And then you added that to his natural talent, his natural drive and you just created a monster who just went and dominated the Tour de France for so many years and people's reactions. You know, there were some people that were very blasé about it, but then there were people that like viscerally wanted this guy hurt. Um, I actually uh, listened to his recent podcast and he was talking about how he was at a bar. He lives relatively close to Austin, Texas. And he was at a bar and somebody recognized him and goes, hey, there's the cheater, blah, 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 blah. And instead of getting upset, he bought them a drink and he had a conversation with them. And by the end of the conversation, I wouldn't go as far to say that they were Lance Armstrong fans, but they didn't hate him. And some of that is because he appealed to the rider on their elephant. I mean, they got to go down a path that they weren't expecting. And the emotional side of them was kind of swayed by a logical argument. The rider took control and, you know, helped them navigate this unnecessary just hatred for a guy who really did nothing wrong to them. He just harmed the sport and and more or less harmed himself. If we're really honest, at the end of the day, Lance Armstrong and I have a couple of things in common, and that's that we care deeply for other people. You can't deny the impact that his, the Livestrong Foundation has had on cancer research, but he was willing to put himself into harm. He was willing to inject drugs that will forever change him and shorten his lifespan in order to further his career and help the people that he cared about. He didn't care about harming himself. And in the fairness cheating doctrine, that wasn't even really a, 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 con, a consideration for his elephant. So... Moving on, you know, we have this loyal and betrayal aspect. So there are people um, who who you know this hits them hard. And I'm not I'm not trying to make this a game of you know who does this apply to. Um, obviously, the book is swayed to make you think about politics, and they point out that a lot of Republicans hold this matrix in in the utmost respect the loyalty the loyalty to the party the loyalty to the cause like you know i i I would modernize this a little bit and just say we have an issue where there are certain people that are loyal to a profession and loyal to this brotherhood or or yeah i mean they call it the thin blue line but not dancing around the subject there's there's police officers feel that you have to be loyal to the profession, loyal to everybody who wears the badge to the point where you're willing to cover up, you're willing to lie, to cheat, to, to not fill out a report that would incriminate your fellow officer because you're loyal to this profession, you're loyal to the badge, you're loyal to the thin blue line. Um, that level can be toxic they, with all of these. I mean, I already went into depth about how the care harm thing can be a weaponized against yourself and weaponized against other people. Fairness and cheating can certainly be weaponized. Loyalty and betrayal is definitely one of those things that if that's a very like, like if you really value that, if that makes up a large part of your element elephant, it can Be used against you it can be one of those things that maybe you want to seek more balance Um, everybody should be loyal you should be loyal to your friends you should be loyal to your family your your spouse Um, there's certainly elements of loyalty that you need to have but when it consumes you to such a degree that you're willing to cheat or harm somebody or something else because you feel your cause is so just you harm the greater good. Um, authority and subversion. Again, there, there are some people, I had a conversation with my boss a little while ago when this whole quarantine thing started. And I, I, I just simply asked him, I was like, you know, if you were still a cop and the governor gave you an order to go and shut down a business that was refusing the, the shutdown order, because they were deemed non-essential, would you go enforce it? And he's like, of course, it's an order. You, you have to enforce orders. And maybe it was a little overzealous of me or cheeky, but I was just like, you know, that got a lot of German soldiers in trouble during a certain war. And, I, you know, I apologize because the implication that, you know, you, you have to be a Nazi to shut down a business is ridiculously over the top. But certainly, certainly that comparison is there when you have a respect for authority that that again goes against everything else when you have an imbalance in your elephant and you have this notion that authority is supreme you tend to do things that aren't healthy you 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 get you get shaped by this long primate history of hierarchical situal social interactions and and Part of that is because you've either held a leadership role or you aspire to uh, hold a leadership role and you want people to have that kind of respect for you. So you're showing it to the next person. And some of it is that's how you were raised. I think there's an argument to be made that as each generation has kind of come forward, there's been ebbs and flow in the amount of authority we're willing to accept, you know, uh, boomers love authority they love being in positions of authority but they certainly have a respect for the authority above them if if an elder tells them something they are more likely to adhere to it than a millennial millennials are very 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 much at that stage in their life where rebellion is key um And I think Gen Zers are—now, Gen Zers, the argument could be made that they're just kind of like in their teenage years now, and that's an age of rebellion, so to to just group them into this rebellious thing is kind of nonsensical and silly. But in a personal life, in in your personal situation— where do you see authority? Do you have an unhealthy love for authority? Do you have a, a an unhealthy rebellion? Do you do you really value subversion? You know, in in all of these points and these matrices, the idea is that you try to find balance for things, um, sanctity and degradation, being the next topic here. You know, that foundation was sa- shaped by the psychology of disgust and contamination. So I think this one underscores a little bit more like how important religion is to people or maybe history again to modernize this point a little bit we have this this real huge argument about taking down confederate statues in america we erected these confederate statues to commemorate the civil war so that we would remember hey you know this general did this or this is where this battle was or and and the argument is like, well, you're destroying history by taking those down. But there's really no lesson to be learned at idolizing somebody who stood for a cause that maybe wasn't the healthiest cause. Um, I know my, I, my heart stands in conflict with this because I, I'm a history nerd. I love history. And I think my elephant, if I was going to pick another one of these uh, matrixes that I find makes up a lot of my elephant is it's sanctity it's it's honoring things that came before us I 100% wholly disagree with owning slaves the slavery thing all of the monuments that were erected during the Jim Crow era Uh, I mean let's not let's not parse words or pretend like meanings don't exist the intention of a lot of these monuments they were erected during the Jim Crow era there was uh, an era of this country where people were fighting for civil rights and we went and erected statues and monuments to Confederate generals and soldiers and battles kinda in their face like you're never gonna be equal because we remember the time when we owned you and when you put that into perspective nobody is saying let's forget the Civil War happened nobody is saying hey Let's forget the Confederacy was a type of government that existed. People are just saying, let's not glorify the people who propagated this idea that owning slaves was okay. Is that argument... Really that great of an idea to boil down to that? No, I think that people should look at the Civil War They should study the Confederacy They should look at all of the aspects of things that happened because there are more lessons in there than just hey the Confederacy fought for slavery There was there was some things in there that I think even the most liberal minded person could look at the Confederacy and say Well, that wasn't a horrible a horribly bad idea or you know certain states rights are a good idea to fight for but it kind of gets muddled because you know of all the points the confederacy had they made 80 points on slavery so any good argument they had quickly gets overshadowed and again not to turn this into a political thing but the book points out that like if you're one of those those people that like care and harm fairness and cheating, if those things make up the majority of your element elephant, you're not going to care so much about sanctity and degradation. You're not going to care about somebody being related to that statue or monument or people fighting for their ideals because that statue represents to you harm. It rec- it represents cheating somebody out of their life by forcing them into slavery. It's, it's a subversion of authority. So you see kind of how these matrixes work. I'm trying to explain it. I'm probably doing a really horrible job about it, but that's that sanctity of churches. Uh, real recently I don't know if anybody remembers because history I swear to Christ, when we talk about the 2000s, history is just going to go bonkers like the seismograph counting the ticks on this one is just going to go nuts. But um, last year, the Notre Dame burned and the Notre Dame is, if you don't know, is this really beautiful Gothic styled cathedral in France built on this small island. It's very old and. It's, it's the, at the heart of the Catholic religion. It's beautiful. I mean, I don't know anybody that doesn't know a picture of the cathedral and can't identify the Notre Dame like almost immediately. But it burned down. They were doing some construction work, some upgrades, some renovations, some restorations, and it burned. And we didn't lose it, but a bunch of billionaires stepped in, and raised all of this money within a week to help restore it and the reaction was kind of funny because there were people like how is it that we can raise a billion dollars like within a week to go and and repair this 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 cathedral but we can't fight poverty we can't provide equal rights for people of different colored skin we can't we can't you know put that kind of effort into any of these other worthy charities. We're worried about a building that probably should have collapsed during World War II and we just continually restore it and reconstruct it and and do renovations. And I know like, you know, these examples aren't providing the best background for how you need to think about these things. I've never sought out to just give people um, the answers I'm, I'm really posing these as questions I want you when you're done listening to this to, to you maybe make this list maybe write down on the pad these six points and then think about in yourself in your own life how they affect you you know where do you rank sanctity and degradation you know maybe you don't really care whether statues are up or not maybe your your, your thought process about degradation really comes to just honoring other people's beliefs Maybe your Jewish friends that don't celebrate Christmas don't receive enough recognition and your fairness, uh, your fairness cheating doctrine comes into play. Like All of these things kind of intermingle. It's how they apply to you. I want you to question this and think about it in your own life. Sorry, I'm rubbing my nose and my throat's really dry for some reason. The last one is uh, liberty and oppression. And I know this one is a big one in my head. Um, This one, my elephant, definitely is is made up of a large part of this because I find personal liberties um, so important. You know, the the ability to exist is a gift, and it's that gift is kind of in my head tarnished if we're not allowed a certain amount of movement within freedom or freedom within movement. To, ex- to experience, to express that, our, our, our life. So, but, but liberty is dangerous. Liberty comes with a cost. And that cost is you don't know the duration of your life or the duration of your life. Could be greatly shortened because we've provided people with liberties, and I'm not going to dance around this one. I'm going to go right to you know we have in this country the Second Amendment, which guarantees us the right to firearms, and firearms are a very dangerous liberty. I'm not I'm not going to to take the angle that firearms are are purpose made weapons for killing, but I will say. That it's a lot easier to do it with a firearm than most other things, um, that that are readily available, anyways, and and that danger to me adds spice. It adds it adds a certain amount of excitement in life to know that you're not guaranteed tomorrow, that every minute is a gift, and that we have to honor that gift by expressing ourselves like to the fullest, but. I also react really strongly to oppression. When I see groups of people oppressed, when I see my friends and family oppressed for things that are beyond their control, that really stirs something in me. You know, my elephant reacts violently to oppression. Um, maybe that's why I've taken up the mantle that I have for the Black Lives Matter movement, um, using this podcast as a voice. If, if only to give you my thoughts so that you can question your everyday interactions with people and maybe get to better understand your level of acceptance of the world. But I, oppression, to me, is is just the worst thing. Like, and, and I understand that oppression comes in many forms, and some of it is harmless. Some of it, like, you know, oppressing somebody who wants to scream fire in a room and incite a a riot you know it doesn't hurt anybody to say hey you can't do that but I and and I don't know really how to 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 walk myself out of this one because it's a dangerous topic there's there's people of of positions of power that I have to report to and obviously their elephant a lot of it's made up of uh, authority You know, they value authority. So people that value authority may have an issue with liberty. It's one of those things that I think about a lot as I'm doing this podcast. You know, I have to ask myself when I'm putting my opinions out there, how much am I willing to risk? How much of my future career, how much of my current career am I willing to put on the line and sign a check that says by expressing my opinion, I'm not gaining favor with these people, because I can tell you, I, I work for people who wouldn't enjoy me talking about Black Lives Matter or talking about, you know, defunding police. I, my old boss, both of my old bosses, were former police officers, and they would probably find my my viewpoints on this abhorrent, and they may, you know, look for reasons to get rid of me for it. Um, So I guess you could say I don't really value authority so much. (laughs) Uh, That's not true. You know, in the fire service, um, I certainly do. I I have always shown my officers the utmost respect. Even if I didn't really think that their viewpoint was valid, I gave respect to the position. Um, It's not to say that it makes up my elephant, um, but it's just the way I was brought up. And that, that, of course, is kind of like the last piece of this puzzle, right? How much of our brains are nurture versus nature? How much of our environment shaped our views? Shaped how much we value these six points? Shaped how our elephant responds to stimulus? Um, and, and my upbringing was chaotic. Uh, I spent a good portion of it being raised by my older sister. I spent some time not having a house to call my own. I spent some time without knowing for sure that I was going to have dinner that night. So, you know, there's elements of my upbringing where I didn't get nurture. I had nature. I I, I was taught lessons of life by by doing, by being in nature, by, by being exposed to things that I probably shouldn't have been exposed to at those ages. And all of this stuff you know, is, is universally how a person is shaped. You know, how their parents think sometimes isn't how they grow up thinking. Sometimes it shapes them to think the opposite way. Sometimes they agree with their parents. I mean, I, we've all had that friend where, like, you went over his house and his parents were Nittany line fans and they went to Penn State and he's going to go to Penn State and this the whole family's, like, just a school spirit, pride type of family. And they have a certain hierarchy set of values. Religion is certainly one of those things that almost is like hereditarily passed down. Not in my case, but, you know, for some families, that happens. For some households, that happens. For some people, you know, they're nurtured. They're nurtured to the point of rebellion. You know, their their parents try to impress upon them certain traits and values, and they do so with such a heavy hand that they end up finding out that the you know they're they're not getting anywhere, and their kids grow up with the very opposite values that they were trying to instill in them, and and that's that's one of the scariest things I would think about being a parent. Um, it's certainly something that has always been in the back of my mind. Now, that window for me is kind of closed, but for all the years that I thought someday I might actually meet Willow, this this dream that I've had, this dream daughter, which I, I guess someday I ought to talk about that a little more in depth. But I always thought like the scariest thing in the world would be to have this human pile of clay that was like to some extent mine to shape. I don't think fully. Uh, children are clay i think children have some innate um conditioning some innate personality that's going to shape them it's going to shape their elephant it's going to shape their rider it's going to shape who they are but you certainly as a parental figure are going to have some input to this and that input is really easy to do wrong in my head like it's it's got to be scary i don't know Um, I've known some amazing parents in my day, parents that understood how fragile but also how resilient children are and weren't afraid to have a heavy hand or a light hand to kind of meter out their their nurturing so that nature also played a large role in their upbringing. Because, again, it's important to have balance In all things that we do, I think it's important to have balance. All of these points, even the idea of just having your rider and your elephant, the goal isn't that your rider controls your elephant. It's that your rider and your elephant have similar goals. It's that you find balance. And, and certainly I don't want to come off sounding like I've unlocked this magic key to my brain that all of a sudden I can understand how I operate. And, and you know, by reading this one book, all of a sudden I'm an expert on psychology. Far from it. I just, I've used these as tools. I've u- I've, I have this mental toolbox. And when I start to feel a certain way, I start to evaluate things. And one of the things that I evaluate is my elephant. And learning what my elephant was made up of and, and trying to figure out why my elephant is leaning a certain direction and not following the commands of my rider. Like, I have a goal, I have a destination in my head. I know where I want to be next year, but it's getting there. It's having the, the, both the rider and the elephant, my rational side and my emotional side in check. Because like I said, for a large part of my 20s, I completely neglected the elephant. I pretended like it wasn't there and I can tell you what happened was I thought I was moving forward I thought that I was continuing down this path towards my goals but really what I did was I stunted my growth I inhibited myself by not addressing my emotional needs by trying to tackle every problem with rational logic and, and knowledge of the, the, the issue I just stood still your, your rider can't move the elephant unwilling to move. It, when, the rider, when the elephant leans, the rider has no choice but to go in the direction the elephant wants. And so I think what frustrated me was that constant, like, taking a, foot, a step forward and then taking a step back. Or taking a step forward in the direction I wanted to go and then taking a step in the opposite direction I wanted to go. And just not understanding why I wasn't getting anywhere so I mean since then I've read books I've been to counseling um, I've tried to take my mental health more seriously because it affects me so seriously and this is one of those weeks where like I've just kind of felt this descent I've, I've recognized that although I don't know exactly what's making me unhappy I know I'm unhappy I know that I'm lacking energy. I don't physically feel the, the ability to go out and put 15, 20 miles on my bike or go run two and a half, three miles. I'm not there because mentally I'm not there. And again, for a long time, I didn't think my mental health had anything to do with my physical health. I really thought I could just will myself there. And, it, you know, I, I had days where I, I did that. I had those days where like you know what my my sadness be damned I was gonna to go to the gym. My sadness be damned I was going to to achieve a goal, I was going to write this one thing, or I was going to do that, that thing. I was gonna make a step towards the goal I had in my head, but it wasn't consistent. I didn't reach a consistent state. I would go to the gym for three days in a row and then I wouldn't go for like two weeks. Or I would ride my bike well, I didn't really start writing in my 20s, but the point is I, I had no constant metric of success. I had little bits of success, but I always had those failures that just neutralized anything that I did good for myself because I didn't recognize it. I never I didn't take my mental health in and I am I struggle with it to this day. You know, I, I was texting a friend of mine just yesterday, like, oh, I want to go for a bike ride, but it's hot and humid out, and I don't feel like it, and then, you know, I sat on the couch, and I, I said, well, I didn't do anything, I didn't do anything, I, I should have worked out, I should have ran, I should have done this, I had a day off Monday, and I complained because I wasted the day off, I didn't really, I re- I wrote an SOG for the fire company, I recorded some music for this podcast, I, I played video games, I pet my dogs. I, I made a video um, of holding and feeding my tarantulas. Like I did things, but the logical, rational side of me was like, no, no, no. You got to exercise. You got to you got to use this day fully, and my mental health wasn't there. My elephant was like, nah, bro. You need to sit on the couch. You need to eat a donut. You need to chill out. Like you've been going redline the last couple of weeks, and like. All of these pressures are coming down on you. Work and and this podcast and your social life and all of these other areas of my life have been sitting on me like an elephant and have been ignoring them. I've been just pushing through because I thought, ah, I just got to get over this hump. But I wasn't going up a hill. I was coming down. The things that I'd been not recognizing in my life that were harming me were dragging me into this hole. And now I'm on this descent and I'm feeling it. My elephant's feeling it. I got to the point where I was physically exhausted. And and, and for no reason. Like, I didn't do anything extenuous. That, exten- stren- I didn't do anything strenuous. I'm fighting with the English language right now. Hold on. I didn't do anything strenuous. And so in my brain, the logical side is like, there's no reason for you to be fatigued. But emotionally, I'm just fatigued. So the last two days, I did things that, well, I you know I didn't really do anything for my mental health because I, I was just realizing I was on the descent. You know, today it really hit hard. Like I I don't know what it was. I I woke up late to go into work, which is probably like an annual thing that happens because I'm never late, and I just I don't feel well. I don't I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't I shouldn't say that I. I haven't recognized or acknowledged what's pissing my elephant off. So I have to do that. So I have to take the time. And yeah, you know, exercise is cathartic. When I go out on my bike and I put on my headphones and I lay down 20 miles, I get to think. I get this clarity, where this, this moment in time where I get to think. But you know, there's other ways you can do self-care. There's things that I enjoy like reading and writing. And just, you know, petting my dog and holding my tarantulas or my snakes or there's other areas of my life that I can do the same thing. I don't always have to be exercising. And I also have to acknowledge that, you know, going out and pounding miles on my bike or running or, you know, hopefully this week my gym opens up. So going to the gym and working out, I get that serotonin dump from doing that. But That's not the only way to take care of yourself. Going for that quick, easy serotonin fix isn't the best way sometimes. And when you're so mentally fatigued that you're now physically fatigued, you have to take that minute. And I I realize that. And I'm going to take that minute. I'm totally going out cycling after this podcast, probably. Ah, Maybe not. I mean, it's a gorgeous day. I may do it. But for sure, I'm going to do things this week like meditation that mindful meditation I did on a previous podcast. I'm going to do that. I'm going to sit and I'm just going to let my mind wander. And I need to address the things that are getting me upset, but I have to know with some amount of clarity what those things are. So it's going to take some soul searching. And with that, I'm going to wrap this up. Um, I think 45 minutes is a good long time. You know, with the, the tail end of the music I recorded, we'll probably hit 55, but that's what's going on in my life. Um, I hope you found this useful. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I will link the book in the description and the podcast. As always, reach out to me on my socials. I'm not ignoring any of the stuff that's going on within the Black Lives Matter movement. I'm not winding down. I think there's a certain amount of exhaustion that people are feeling. Um, it's not an excuse changes have been made and I do want to recap those changes but today I just wanted to address this topic I wanted to talk about these things this was kinda one of those topics that I had shelved and I was gonna get to at some point but I didn't really have the right day or the right frame of mind and today just happened to be that day where I found it extremely useful to talk about these kinda things so I again appreciate everybody who listens I hope the sound quality was a lot better I know you can probably hear the cars driving by and and, and I'm working on things like that. But unfortunately, this is my situation. Um, There's a new mic that I have identified that I really want to buy that will maybe perhaps help that because I've realized the limitations of this mic. So as this grows in popularity and as money and time allows, I'm going to make a better product for you. I promise you just got to stick with me. I really do value everybody who listens and who shares this and who helps this grows. And, you know, obviously the goal is to make this popular enough that I can monetize it. And when I monetize it, I mean the sky's the limit. If I, if I can start making more money off this, it's only going to get better for you. So please share this. Get this out to everybody you know who you think may have an interest in it. Um, I'd, love to, I'd love to have you along for my ascent with this. I'd love to grow with you, but I need your help. So thank you to everybody who listens. I'll see you next Wednesday. Take care of yourself. Learn about your elephant. Take care of your elephant. Learn about your rider. Take care of your rider. Have a good week, everybody. Stay safe. So to say,
0: I'm odds and ends, but I'll be stumbling, stumbling away. It's no better to be safe than salary.